Thank you for choosing this podcast from the Calling Community Church. Our mission is to create space for all people to experience the compassionate love of the Father and to discover the calling He has for their life. Please enjoy the message today, recorded live inside the Wilson Performing Arts Auditorium at Platte County High School in Platte City, Missouri. Well, today, if um, you are a guest, which is good because that means you have to come back next week if you want to hear me preach, but today we have a, uh, well, he's not a guest because he's a part of our church. Roy uh, True teaches the Bible study on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., and so if you're looking for a Bible study, you want to know more about God's Word, uh, come at 9 a.m., jump in, and Roy will uh, be leading that, but today I've asked him to preach. This is the fourth part, the end of our series of what, what do you need to grow Remember, we talked about we need, to, we need to read the Bible to grow, we need to journal, we need to write down what it is God's saying to us through that, and we need to pray. We talked about that last week, we need to pray. And then this week, Roy is going to be talking to you about how important accountability is in our walk with the Lord. So Roy, take it away. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with me if you have your Bible. We are going to talk about accountability this morning, so I'd like to start off with a story about accountability. Uh, Long, long ago in a country far, far away, there was a rich man who had owned a bunch of slaves, and uh, he decided he wanted to take a trip, so he called in three of his slaves. And he said, I I want you to take care of some of my money while I'm gone. So he gave one of them $5,000, and he gave one of them $2,000, and he gave one of them $1,000. And then he left. And the guy that had the $5,000, he took it out, and he started buying and selling stuff and doing business and trading, and and he made another $5,000. And the guy that had $2,000, he took the money and he bought and sold and traded, and he made another $2,000. And the guy that had $1,000, he took it home, and he had a safe in his basement, and he put it in the safe so no one could steal it. And uh, so the rich guy was gone for a really long time, and uh, some people were saying, well, I don't know, maybe he's never coming back. Uh, We don't know when he's coming back. We haven't heard from him. And then one day, suddenly, he came back, and he called the three servants in, And uh, he said to the first one, I gave you $5,000, what'd you do with it? And he said, I took the $5,000, I went out and traded and bought and sold, and I made you another $5,000. And the rich man said, well done. Uh, Since you've been faithful over a little bit, I'm going to make you faithful over much. Uh, Come into my joy, come and share in my joy. And the next guy, he said, what'd you do? I took your $2,000. And I bought, traded, and sold, and I made you another 2000 And the man said, well done. I'm so happy. What a great job. Enter into my joy. Since you've been faithful in a little, I'll make you faithful in much. And then they called the third guy in, and he said, uh, hey, what'd you do with the $1,000 I gave you? And the guy said, well, look, I know you're a hard man, and you gather where you didn't sow. You harvest where you didn't plant. And so... I was kind of afraid of you, so I took your money, I put it in safe, and here's your money back. And he said, 
uh, your own words are condemning you. If you knew that I gather where I didn't sow and I harvest where I didn't plant, then you should have at least took the money and put it in the bank where it could earn interest. And he called him a wicked, lazy servant. And he said, take the $1,000 from him and give it to the guy who has 5000 Because whoever has will be given more, and whoever doesn't have, what little he does have will be taken away from him. Now, you've probably all heard this story, and you realize it's not really my story. It's really Jesus' story. Um, and it's in Matthew chapter 25, if you want to read it, about what the kingdom of heaven will be like. But it doesn't really end there. Because the next verse says that the master told the people, take that wicked, lazy slave and throw him into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So when we think of accountability, I think, first of all, we have to think about ultimate accountability, right? Someday, every one of us is going to stand in front of Jesus Christ and give an account for our lives. And Jesus said, we're going to have to give an account of every idle word. That means every word that we said thoughtlessly or foolishly, every harsh word, every mean word, every demeaning word, we're going to have to give an account for that. And the, if, you're, if you are not, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, the judgment for you is described in Revelation chapter 20, where it says there's a great white throne and him who, who was seated on it. The heavens and earth fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, stand before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And death and the grave gave up the dead that were in them, and death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that's what you have to look forward to. And I urge you, if you've never done it today, to put your faith in Christ. But my message today is really geared to people who are already believers in Christ. People who know that you're saved. People who have confidence that you're trusting in Christ. That you have a righteousness, not of your own, not from your own good works, but the righteousness that comes from God by faith in Christ. And... Those of us who are there, who are believers in Christ, who have put our faith, faith in him and are saved, also have to face a judgment. And we'll look at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you've got your Bible open there, uh, starting in verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So once you're saved, you have that foundation of Jesus Christ. And then we build on it. Our whole lives, we build on it. Look at verse 12. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because a day will bring it to light. 
It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it's burned up, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So this is the judgment for, uh, for believers. All right, It's not a judgment to see if we get into heaven or not. Uh, once you accept Christ, you're on your way to heaven. That's it. That's settled. There's no more uh, consideration of that. This is a judgment to see what our rewards will be in heaven based on our work. Okay, so this is our day of accountability to Jesus Christ. And it says that everything we've done in our life is like building on a foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ. So everything you do, everything you've done this week, you're building on that foundation. And some of it is gold, silver, precious jewels, and some of it's wood, hay, and straw. So some of what we're doing is we're trying to build up this great building with straw, right? That's not a good idea, and it's not going to be good at the judgment seat of Christ. So that's the ultimate accountability. But again, that's not the main thrust of what I want to speak about today. I want us to think about accountability throughout our lives, daily, all right? So turn with me to the book of Judges, if you will. It's the sixth book in the Old Testament, the book of Judges. And I want to look at a man who lived his life with no accountability. Judges chapter 13. And the book of Judges is very interesting. It talks a lot about uh, doing what's right and what's not right. Uh, Seven times in the book of Judges... It says that the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So let me just give you a background of the book of Judges if you're not familiar. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then they would be uh, come under subjugation to another country, like the Philistines. So Israel would be um, under the power of the Philistines. Then God would send a judge who would deliver them from their enemies. And there would be peace in the land. Then the cycle repeats. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord would send punishment to them. So that's what the whole book of Israel is about. I mean, the whole book of Judges is about. And twice in the book of Judges, it says this. Judges 17.6 and Judges 21.25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So, if you can imagine a country where people just do whatever they think is right in their own eyes. I don't know if you can really imagine that, unless you, like, just look around you today. Um, That's what was going on in Israel. There was no king. There was no authority. People just did whatever they felt like doing, whatever they thought was right in the situation. So, into that comes a judge by the name of Samson. Imagine most of you have heard of Samson. And his story starts in Judges chapter 13. 
So we'll read just the first few verses of Judges 13 here. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man named Zorah, a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart to God from his birth and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So this is the beginning of uh, Samson's story. Pretty, pretty amazing. An angel of the Lord appears to his mother and says, you're going to have a son. And he's going to be a Nazarite. And he's going to deliver people. He's going to deliver the people of Israel from the Philistines who are oppressing them. That's the beginning. Now let's uh, flip over to 1621 and see what his life looks like. Samson, this great deliverer. Chapter 16, verse 21. Then the Philistines seized him, that's Samson. They seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles, bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. So here's this glorious beginning. An angel appears to him, to his mother, and says he's going to be a great man. And then uh, later, when he's an adult, we see that his enemies captured him, gouged out his eyes, uh, chained him to a big uh, grinding wheel, and made him push his wheel around, around to grind grain, which was actually the job of an ox or a donkey. Now, how did Samson get from this glorious beginning to the place where he is a slave, captured, blinded, doing the work of an animal? Well, if you read through these three chapters, you can find out. And we're going to just hit the highlights. We're not going to go through uh, the whole thing. But first of all, he was a Nazarite. So if you... You can write this down and look it up later, but in um, Numbers chapter 6, it gives the description of a Nazarite, what a Nazarite vow entails. And normally what this would be is an adult man would say, I, I want to do something special for the Lord. I want to set myself apart for a period of time, for a month or six months or a year, and just devote myself to the Lord. So the three requirements of a Nazarite vow were... He could not drink any wine or grape juice. He couldn't eat grapes or raisins. In fact, it's so specific that it says he can't have anything that comes from the vine, including seeds or skins. So no grapes or grape products, okay? They could not drink in, uh, so no, they couldn't drink wine, obviously. Um, they could not cut their hair for whatever the length of the vow was. They did not cut their hair. They would let it grow. So if it was a year or two years, you know, their hair might grow long. Um, and they could not go near any dead body. So, and it specifically says even if their parent 
or a brother or sister dies, they can't go near the dead body. Those are the three requirements of the Nazarite vow. Samson was a Nazarite from birth, so he was never supposed to do any of those things. So as we go through the as we go through, we can see that just in his life, he he took small steps towards where he ended up. He didn't end up there uh, without things happening first. So in chapter 14, verse 2 and 3, he asked his father, he said, there's this Philistine woman, and she's pleasing in my eyes. So remember, um, the book talks about how people did things that were evil in the eyes of the Lord, and Samson's going to end up with his eyes being gouged out. Well, here, he wants to get his dad to set him up to marry this Philistine woman because she's pleasing in my eyes. And his dad says, well, aren't there any girls in Israel you could marry? Because uh, she's our enemy and a pagan, and she doesn't worship our God, and her people have made us their slaves. But Samson said, no, well, now she looks good to me. Can you get her for me? So his dad went and arranged the marriage, and he didn't hold him accountable. All right? He let him just get away with that. That's a, that's a that's a sinful thing, and for a person who's dedicated as a Nazarite to the Lord, that's a really bad thing. Then if you look in um, chapter 14, verse 9, he, he had killed a lion, and then he, when he went by the place where the lion was dead, he saw some bees had made a hive inside the lion's carcass. And so he went over there to the lion's carcass, a dead body, and he got some of the honey out and ate it. So again, he's uh, taken a small step away from where he should be. In chapter 14, verse 10, it says, he gave a feast as was the cup custom, as was the custom of the Philistines who he was feasting with. That feast would involve alcohol. So he's drinking alcohol now, which is another part of his vow that he's not supposed to do. Um, in 15, chapter, one, uh, chapter 15, verse 1 through 8, he got mad he, really, he was just mad, and he killed a whole bunch of people. Uh, he killed 30 guys. He, he'd made a bet for 30 suits of clothing, and he lost it. So he went out and killed 30 Philistines and took their clothes. So to do that, obviously, he had to take the clothes off the dead body, which was another violation of his Nazarite vow, not to mention the murder part. Okay, maybe we could overlook that because they were the enemies and it was a war thing, but really it was just murder. And again, no one's holding him, holding him accountable for these things. And when he does them, uh, nothing bad happens in his life. He doesn't see any immediate consequences. In chapter 16, 1, it talks about he went and visited a prostitute. He was living with a prostitute, and the Philistines tried to get him, and he got away. And so things worked out good. He escaped. Things were good. And then in chapter 14, verse 6, uh, we get the story of Samson and Delilah. And again, all, this, all through his life, he'd been like taking more and more steps away from the Lord, violating more and more parts of his vow, and nothing happened. He didn't feel accountable. No one held him accountable. So the story of Delilah is... Um, she, she's a Philistine woman, their enemy, and the Philistine leaders come to her and say, look, uh, we've got to get this guy. Would you t- figure out why he's so strong? So he tells her, hey, if you just tie me up with some new ropes, some, some uh, green, 
green cords, green vines. I can't get out of that. So he goes to sleep. She ties him up with some green vines. And she wakes him up and says, hey, hey the, the Philistines are here. So he breaks off the vine. He, he beats up the Philistines, throws them all out, goes back to sleep. The next night, she does it again. Hey, tell me what the secret is. He's not getting a clue here because nothing bad happened to him before. It all worked out okay. So he, this time he says, if you tie me up with some new, new ropes that have never been used, that, that'll do it. So she does it. Same thing happens. He escapes from the Philistines. And uh, he just goes on. It works out okay. He thinks things are good. The third night, um, she says, and tell me again. He says, well, if you weave my hair into a loom, then I'll be powerless. So the same thing happens. The Philistines come in. He jumps up. He shakes his head. The loom breaks off. He beats up the Philistines, throws them out. And everything's fine. The next night, um, she cries and says, you don't love me like I love you. I'm trying to get you arrested so I can get a lot of money here. But I love you. But she cries and says, uh, you don't love me. So he tells her the truth. I'm a Nazarite. He's already broken two parts of his vow, right? But he's never cut his hair. He cuts his ha- she cuts his hair off after he goes to sleep. And then... The really sad, sad thing is in chapter 16 of Judges, um, verse 21. I know, it's verse 19. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called the man to shave off the seven braids of his hair And so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. And then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. That's one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. He didn't know that the Lord had left him. And the the picture of Samson's life is someone who was never held accountable and he began to sin. And, and we can do this. You do a little sin, right? Uh, it's, a, it's just a little thing. We justify it in our minds. It's not that bad. It's a little white lie. You know, it's just a thought. I didn't do it. Whatever. We're so good at justifying our actions. But what happens is, once you do that, it snowballs, right? It starts to, the snowball starts to get bigger and bigger as it rolls down the hill. And eventually it's out of control. And so Samson, not only was his whole life ruined, but uh, his, he, he was blind. He was in prison. And that's what sin does to it, to us. It pr- imprisons us. Sin is deceitful. And it, we think it's fun. All right, we, we look at the fun part of it. And sin can be fun. If it wasn't fun, no one would want to do it. But the problem is it goes beyond fun. It imprisons us. It, it uh, captures us. It promises pleasure, but it brings bondage. Jesus said in John eight thirty four, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. In 2 Peter 2, 19, Peter talks about the false teachers who promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. 
Uh, Romans 6.16 says, Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. So how do we keep from getting our life in the mess that Samson was in? Well, it's what we've been talking about the last four weeks. The Word of God. All right, We need to every day be putting the Word of God into our lives. Uh, Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And verse 11 of Psalm 119 says, I have treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The example we see of Jesus when he was tempted, what did he say when the devil tempted him? It is written. He quoted the Bible. By the way, he quoted from Deuteronomy. So I'm urging you all to memorize Deuteronomy for the next time you're tempted. Okay, maybe you could start with the New Testament instead. But there's good stuff in Deuteronomy too. That's what Jesus quoted. So uh, the word of God, journaling. Journaling helps us to think more about the Bible. It helps us to just focus our thoughts and think about it. And we have it there. We can look at it again and bring it to mind. Keep it in our mind. Not be just hearers. James says, if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer, you're deceiving yourself. Okay, so we got to do what the word says. Prayer. Prayer is where we bring the power of God to bear in our lives. We yield ourselves to God and his Holy Spirit fills us and gives us power. And then accountability. So what is accountability? I already talked about someday we have to stand in front of God and give account to him for everything we've done. But we need accountability in our day-to-day lives. So where can we find that? Uh, and the reason we need it is because we, we, are, we do deceive ourselves, and we all have blind spots. All of us have blind spots. Um, just things in our lives we can't see. So we need someone who is willing to tell us about those blind spots. So we need close relationships. So you can find those here at church. I urge you to get into some kind of small group where you can make closer relationships with people and have that accountability. Turn to one more passage. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And I just want to look at two verses here. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. Uh, Let's look at verse 12 first. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So we get accountability from our pastor. And Hebrews 13 says, Hebrews 13, 17 Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who to whom as those who must give an account. So Brady has a responsibility. Someday he's going to give an account to God for what he's done for this church here. And so Hebrews says you should submit to his authority. 
Now, if you can't submit to his authority, you should be in a church where you can submit to the pastor's authority. But if God has called you here, he's our, he's our earthly authority. And as long as he's teaching us from the word of God, we should submit to that. But look at verse 14. This is for all of us. Uh, we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So there's three kinds of people here, and there's three kinds of things that we should do for each other together. The first one is the idle, or many versions say unruly. So admonish the unruly. The unruly or the idle are just people who are out of step. It's a military term that literally meant out of step. They're out of line. They maybe they're not causing a lot of trouble. They're just not with the program. Okay, so, and the word admonish means to encourage, warn gently. So if there are people who just aren't getting with the program here, it's part of your responsibility. This is why we need close relationships like small groups. To come alongside them gently and go, hey, hey you're out of line. You just probably, things would go better if you just get in line and get back in step and march along. And you need someone who you are willing, to, close enough to, that if they come and say that to you, uh, you're not going to be offended. You're going to take it with the warm, kind spirit that it's intended. And then um, there is the faint-hearted. It says, encourage the faint-hearted. So some people are just faint-hearted. They're just, um, they're afraid. They're timid. They're not, they don't have the courage to uh, do what they should do. They don't have the courage to share the faith with their gospels. They're just timid. It's your responsibility as a fellow believer in this church to encourage them. It doesn't say judge them. It doesn't say make fun of them. It doesn't say gossip about them. Encourage them. Just encourage them. Help build up their courage. And then there is the weak. And there are people among us here who are just weak in faith, weak in knowledge. Maybe they just don't know much about the Bible. Uh, maybe they don't, they're, they're just uh, not strong believers. And it says we should help them. Again, it's just the idea of coming along, not, not lording it over someone, uh, not speaking down to them, not thinking badly of them, but just come along and help them in whatever way you can. And then it says, be patient with everyone. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? <laughs> be patient. So that's what we're supposed to do as a church. If we do that as a body of believers, we will hold each other accountable. When we see someone going astray, we need to just gently say, hey, look, you're going the wrong way. You're going down the road like Samson did. You're going to end up not today, not tomorrow, not next week, but eventually that's going to end in catastrophe. That's going to ruin your life. It's going to mess up your family. Don't do that. Come on, get back, get back in step. All right, so I want to encourage you today. We need to think about ultimately we're going to stand before Jesus Christ. But day by day, we need to encourage each other, being patient with each other, and just 
in those, that's why relationships are so important. So I have someone who can say to me, hey, look, you're, you're a little bit off course. And then I have to love that person enough to say, hey, brother, you're a little off course. You need to just get back. You're not crazy, but I, I just think you need to move back over this way a little bit. So we build those in, we, we get that accountability in relationships. So if you're not involved in the church to enough that you're building relationships, close relationships where people will hold you accountable, then I, I want to just come along today and urge you, if you're not doing that, you're off the path, you're out of step, and if you don't get back on the path, if you keep going down that path, it's going to lead to bad things. All right, let's, let's have prayer. Thank you, Lord, for for all the examples in, in your word of people who just little by little drifted away and, and gone off course and shipwrecked their lives. I pray that you would help us to build relationships here, loving relationships, patient relationships, where we can gently bring people back onto the course. And Lord, if there are those here who aren't saved, I pray that today you would convict them Show them their need to be saved and draw them to you. And now as we partake of the Lord's Supper, I pray that everyone would examine himself and herself and that we would get our hearts right with you before we take part in this and that we show forth your death until you come again. And may that be soon, Jesus, in your son's name. Amen. Thanks again for choosing this podcast from the Calling Community Church. We hope it leaves you encouraged. If you need more information about the church or need to talk to someone about prayer or faith in Jesus, please visit our website, thecallingcommunitychurch.com and fill out the contact form. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a blessed day.